You're listening to Business Made Simple with Donald Miller, Kula Callahan, and Dr. J.J. Peterson. We just live in a world right now in America where everybody is complaining, and it's almost like we have given up our own agency. Hope has two beautiful daughters, and one is anger, anger at the way things are, but the second daughter is courage, courage to want to make a difference. Anger alone makes me curse the darkness. There's no value in cursing the darkness. I mean, when you're done cursing, it's still dark. But courage allows me to turn the light on. I'm sitting around with John Maxwell, which is an honor. Good to be with you. Good to be with you, John. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about the new book. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious, you know, I'll turn 50 in August. You're uh, about 24, 25 years ahead of me. And uh, you have already changed the world, and I'd like to. So this seems like it's going to be a good conversation. Your new book is called Change Your World. And uh, you, meant it, you meant it to be a roadmap, right? Yeah, it is. It's a roadmap of how a person can change the world that they live in. Uh, the book's not called Change the World. Uh, it's too much. I, I, you know, some, sometimes I, <laughs> I read a book and I get discouraged because I think, wow, it's more than I can handle. But, uh, you know, Mother Teresa, you know, when they asked her one time, how, you know, how do you feed the world? She said, you start with one. Hmm. And uh, change your world is all about uh, look at your family, look at your community, look at the people that you maybe are, are working with in business and, and start with a few. Just start with the people around you and uh, make a difference in their lives. I wanted the book to be a book that would encourage a person to do something a little bit more than what they're doing now in an intentional way that would bring a really a big fulfillment return in their life. And that's kind of, that's kind of why I wrote the book. I, I want to ask you this, John, because you, you've thought about this for so long. Why do you think a human being should try to change their world? Why has it been such a great journey for you to have such a big impact? Because, because I know a lot of successful people that are unhappy. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I really do. I mean, I know, and you do, you know, we, 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 we know though a lot of them. I'm not, I'm not talking about a few. I know a lot of people that have a lot of stuff, you know, they've built a great career and, you know, but, but they're not happy. There's a difference between success and significance. Hmm. You know, su- success is kind of, it's about me and, and, you know, you know, how much money do I make and what, what's, what kind of stuff do I have? Success is normally about me. Significance is usually about others. And successful people, I think, are unhappy because their world is too small. I mean, honestly, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure how much fulfillment you can get out of stuff. I know a lot of people that really live their life to add value to other people. They're very intentional in it. And, and they live a significant life. I've, I've really never met, I'm sure there's one out there, but I have never personally met a, an unhappy, significant person. Hmm. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, it's and I think it's. But now I'm a person of faith, so this is a, maybe a little disclaimer. But but I believe it's because I think we are created to add value to people. I really do. I believe. You know, I was doing a thing with uh, Steve Harvey. We were doing a piece in the studio for an entire day on effective communication, and Steve said something that I thought was so profound that day. He said, "You know, John, a career is what you get paid for, and a calling is what you were made for." And this book, Change Your World, is is what I think we I think we were made to be our brother, our sister's helper, add value, keeper. And 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 I think once we find that, we really find fulfillment. It, it because it's a world that's beyond us. And I think we're supposed to live beyond us. I got a chance. This is 
going well going on ten years ago, but um, I got a chance to go interview Pete Carroll at the Seattle Seahawks. It was the summer that he recruited Russell Wilson. That is a, I'll never forget this conversation, John, because it sounds like what you're talking about. He said he he is so glad that he he experienced success early as a young man as an athlete. Because and I said why and he said because it taught me that there's nothing in it. <laughs> I like that. And he would have chased it his whole yeah. life. And I said, well, well, what then? Where, what was there something in? And he said, helping others succeed. He said that's where he found he found meaning as a coach and helping other coaches. And he even confided to me. He said, Don, don't tell anybody this, but you know, half the stuff I work on has nothing to do with football because I'm chasing meaning, you know, by helping other people do all sorts of stuff. I just thought that was really significant and. You know, to the to your audience, I would say, you know, change your world is really it's it's about having an impact, but it's also about finding meaning when you can't when you haven't. So many people that you talk to are really successful until you turn around and leverage that success so that others can succeed. It's not fulfilling. I think it's it's sort of a sad reality, but a beautiful thing to realize because now you can go. But there is actual meaning in life. Are you a fan of Viktor Frankl? Did he influence your writing early on? Oh, very much so. You know, of course, he you know, survived uh, terrible, yeah, uh, Holocaust. Uh, terrible conditions. And, and, and again, he talked about the power of choice and, and, and the whole process. And he was, I think he's a classic example of significance. And, you know, I, I loved, I love the fact that when he was in the concentration camps, one of, one of the things I love about it is the fact that, that he was constantly encouraging and, and helping people to have hope. Mm-hmm. In the, you know, in the Change Your World book, at the very beginning, Donald, I talk about the fact that hope has two beautiful daughters. And, and, and one is, is anger, anger at the way things are. But, but the second daughter is courage, courage to want to make a difference. I mean, when I look at where we are today, and, and it's, I think it's a, a very kind of a difficult time mm-hmm. in life, anger alone makes me curse the darkness. There's no value in cursing the darkness. I mean, when you're done cursing, it's still dark. But courage allows me to turn the light on. And, and change your world is all about how do you flip the switch for people? How do, you, how, do, how, do you, how do you turn the light on? And another thing that I, one of the reasons I'm very passionate about this book is I think a lot of people really do want to make a difference, but they don't know how. They don't have a plan. They don't have a step-by-step plan. Yeah. You know, when I started off, I knew, I knew I wanted to make a difference, but I didn't know how. I, I didn't even know when I could make a difference. I, you know, how, how long is it going to be before I can live a significant life? And so I wrote, when I wrote Change Your World, I really took care of, of, of how, how, do I, how do I do this? How, how do I make a difference? Because people really make changes in their life when you resource them in such a way that they're able to make those changes. It's hmm. not like they're anti-change as much as they are. They're anti not knowing how to change. And so therefore they kind of freeze in the moment. And so when I wrote Change Your World, I thought, okay, I'm going to do a little blueprint here. And if a person really wants to make a difference in the lives of other people, I'm going to give them a way that I know works because we've done this internationally with millions of people for the last 10 years and and, and we're finding the success of it. So I said, okay, I'm going to share that with you. Now, there are other ways to make a difference in the world than, than the one I have in the book, but this one works, and this one works really well. I want to go through two things. I want to go through the steps for having an impact, for, for stopping complaining and, and sort of putting anger to bed and saying, okay, let's make a difference. And then I want to hear what you're doing in South America, in Latin America. 
And because a lot of people don't know, you're having a you're having a massive impact. Tell me, tell me the steps that you would take in order to go from complaining to actually doing something. Because we, you know, again, John, we just live in a world right now in America where everybody is complaining, and it's almost like we have um, given up our own agency. You know, people who complain. They complain because somebody else has agency over them. The first step is to understand anger is not sustainable. There has never been a transformational movement in community that was sustained by anger. You you have to move beyond what's wrong. Because in going to what's wrong, it's not only emotionally not sustainable, it is it's it's not workable because the anger is always at someone else. Yeah. I can't fix something when I'm waiting for you to make my life better. <laughs> Such a great point. I have to take personal responsibility. And you're not going to control that person anyway. You're not going to change that person. Oh, no, uh, yeah. no, not, not, not at all. So I, I think when we understand the uselessness of anger and, and the, the small lifespan that it really has, then we have to say, okay, well, if I, I can't curse the darkness, how do I turn the light on? And, and, and to me... I'm all about giving somebody a, a way to a way, way to make their life better and the life of other people better. And here's what we've found. What we've discovered, this isn't theory, this is this is practice. I mean, we we we've trained five million leaders through our organizations in every country of the world. We've trained five million leaders. It's incredible. But but when you train leaders, you give them leadership skills. But when you do transformation, now now we're we're going from just having skills to lead well to having the ability to make changes in your life. And, and transformation is, a, is about change. I mean, I write, I write self-help books, but what I tell people is self-help books only can help you so far. Mm-hmm. You, you know I mean, it, 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 it begins with me, but if I really want to reach my potential, it has to include others. I mean, I need you to come into my life and give me a different perspective. Help me to see another way. Uh, help me with my blind spots. I mean, there's no such thing as a self-aware person. We aren't self-aware. We have to have help people help us with self-awareness. So, so it, it's in the dynamics of a table that we go from self-help to community help, collective help. The magic happens when I hear your perspective about the same value. So, so small groups are essential because three things have to happen for great change, for me to be ready to change. I have to have people around me that I trust. I have to have people around me that uh, have a, a bit different perspective that can help me. And I have to have people around me that care for me. And, and th- that's essential. And that all happens at a table. It doesn't happen in a lecture. doesn't happen in a book. It happens when, when I have other people helping me. Now, so the table is essential. And then what we discovered is when we get to the table, what are we going to talk about? And what I discovered, and I had a eureka moment really 20 years ago about this, but what, what I discovered is this, that, that we want to talk about values. And I go back 20 years ago when Enron, and you think of corporate distrust in America, when, you know, when it was really bad. And I remember I was writing at that time for Time Warner, and they called me up to New York City, and they asked me to write a book on business ethics. And I told him, I said, well, I can't. And they said, why not? I said, because there's no such thing as business ethics. And they looked at me and said, what do you mean? I mean, look at all the businesses that are doing unethical things. I said, well, that's not a business ethics problem. They said, what kind of problem is it? I said, it's an, it's an ethics problem. <laughs> I mean, 
you don't, I mean, you don't compartmentalize this stuff. It's, it's, it's not like I'm really ethical to you, Don, but over here, I'm just, just killing this person. No, no. Or that, or that business ethics are lesser than the ethics that you would have at church or whatever, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And what's really good is if you have ethics, it works in business. Oh, happy day. You know what I mean? Okay. And then, so then they said, well, can you write a book on ethics? I said, "I, I don't think so. And then they asked me, why is it? Because we're in a culture that has no truth or absolutes. Hmm. And, and so where the heck do you nail ethics on some kind of, it's like jello. It's it, what, how do I do that? So, but I said, give me a month. I came back a month later and because I had some good people helping do some research, I said, I'll write the book and I'm going to write it on the golden rule because the golden rule is in every religion it's every, and it's in every culture of the world. There's a golden rule. Treat others as you want to be treated. So I did. It was in that that I realized the power of values because the golden rule is a value. And the moment then I said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to help people understand, learn, learn and live out good values. And what we've, just, what we've found now with millions of people is that when people learn good values and they live them, they become more valuable. They become more valuable to themselves. They become more valuable to their family. They just become more valuable because they're, they're, they're living out values that lift society and lift culture. And, and so now you sit around the table with a half a dozen people and, and we have 25 in the book, 25 values that are very important that cross culture and, and, and religion, et cetera. And when you start discussing them and practicing them, everything then begins to change. And that's, and that's kind of, if you can do those two things, then you can begin to change your world. Well, you have you have a, a list. Uh, uh, identify your cause. Live out the values that make a difference. Become a catalyst for change. You talk about community, getting people to the table, join the right team, or recruit one of your own. Work together with others to make a difference. I love the community impact of this. It's very much Viktor Frankl. I mean, I, I summarize logotherapy, Viktor Frankl's ideas, as uh, have a, a project that you're working on, an objective. Have a redemptive or, or optimistic perspective on your suffering. And do all of this in community. I love that. It, I've done it for 10 years and there's not been a single day when I haven't experienced meaning. There's days when I've cried myself to sleep because, you know, I lost a friend or something. But that you can cry yourself to sleep and have a, an incredibly meaningful day. I've never not had meaning since I've put those three things in my life. And that, that's what this is a prescription for. I mean, you know, everybody's sort of dance around the same idea. And I think it's God designed. I really do. I don't think we're designed to sit on the bench. I think we're designed to play and get in the game. And I don't think we experience meaning until we do it. I have a final question for you. I happen to know that you were approached years ago by a team who wanted you to be president of the United States. You thought about it and you came back to them. You said, I'm not going to do it. I didn't ask them at the time, why not? I thought, well, next time I'm sitting around with John Maxwell, I'm going <laughs> to ask him, why didn't you do it? Why didn't, why didn't you run for pride? I voted for you. Well, let me say, first of all. I'm not trying to float your boat. I'm, I'm, <laughs> you, you, you're in a position where you, where you would have been taken seriously. There would have been a serious number of leaders behind you. You're going to need about $250 million, <laughs> you know, but you could have come up with that. Why didn't you do it? I'm, I'm just, I was curious what, what you know. What goes through your mind when, when you turn down an opportunity like that? Well, the very fact that we haven't got to talk for a long time tells you there's a problem with you and me. We got to get together a little bit more. <laughs> I, I really was approached by a legitimate group. In fact, they had a half, uh, they had 500 million that they were going to put behind us. So I didn't even have to raise the money. And, and I did think about it for about 10, 10 days, pretty seriously. I brought in some people that 
I trust and, and ask them to help me with that decision. And I said no, but I, I said no for a, a couple of reasons. I said no, first of all, because I was going to be a third party candidate. That's going to be, that's a tough climb. Yeah, well, it's never happened before, and I wasn't naive enough to think that, uh, or delusional enough to think that I was going to be able to make it. They had vetted. They felt that I had the possibility at that time of carrying at least seven to maybe nine states. They thought they thought I had a shot, but but seven to nine states that's not going to win. And I thought to myself, why would I why would I do something that would that I'm not going to win? And and then probably skew the election in 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 some crazy way. So it was strategic. It was it yeah. was a strategic. You know, it's I'm not going to be able to help the country this way. That's exactly right. Now, if I really have, if I would have really thought I had a shot at winning, then I think I would have tried it. I really do. But but let me just also say this. I wish. Boy, in fact, I wish we had 30 minutes for this discussion right here. I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> okay, I've not shared this, so I, I, I yeah, yeah. I'm, let's hear, let's hear. Okay, yeah, you're loving this. You're loving me getting out on. You're saying I'm got the scoop. Okay. This is a scoop. I've never had a scoop on my show before. Come on, John. Come on, John. Walk out here. The ice is a little thin, but come on out here, buddy. Let, I'm waiting for the announcement. Waiting for the announcement. <laughs> you're, you're, in fact, you're loving this a little too much. But here's the sorry, here, sorry. here's the point. I, I think that um, I think we have a values deficit in our country. I don't think we have a law problem. I mean, I think that laws can get better. I'm, I'm not anti-laws yeah. at all, please. But I don't think the law fixes the problem. I think if I don't have values, you can give me the law and I figure a way to get around it. I think that's just the way it works. I think that values are the key. You know, and I'm going to my faith. I'm going to uh, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, where Paul talks about the fact of the fruit of the Spirit. And, 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 and he says, let me give you a description of what this looks like, what divine love looks like. And he, you know, it talks about joy and peace and, and patience. And, and he gives this incredible list. But what's interesting, at the end of that little verse, it says, and these things are above the law. They're limitless. And honestly... I feel that I can do more in my world uh, as far as helping countries uh, bring transformation of values. I think I can do more than I could if I was the leader of a country. I don't think the answer is in which party or, or, or I don't think that's where the answer. I think the answer is in values. And what really is encouraging to me is we're in five countries now, but we have 23 countries where the presidents of the countries have invited us in. I mean, they're saying, please come in and do values because we're starting to see some humongous success in these countries because we go to the eight streams of influence and go to the top leaders and that we get buy-in. And this is key. This is so key. Uh, I have one company, we have seven, but one of the companies we have is just does uh, leadership training. And we have found that the success of leadership training in any company, big or small, doesn't matter, is dependent upon one thing. And, it, and we have several leadership programs, so it's not the curriculum. The success is dependent upon, do the leaders of that company organization, do they get involved in the training themselves? Hmm. Or yeah. do they just send their people to it? That's huge. And when they get involved themselves, Donald, what we found is when they get involved, it becomes successful. So in transformation of country, the president has to be in small groups. The leaders of, of, of the top businesses have to be in small groups. And we are seeing phenomenal change. I was just with the attorney general in Guatemala, and she was sharing with me that they have been doing values training now for, for about a year and a half in the prisons in Guatemala. And that when a prisoner is released, 
in that country, 80% of them within six months are back in prison again. Mm. And she said, with the values training that we've used now, that we've used of yours, she said, we've released 169 that have gone through the training. And she said, none of them have returned. That's, that's, an, that's amazing. Isn't that beautiful? And it's because it's values. And now what they're doing, the government there is paying these prisoners have gone through the training, have been released and have shown success. They're now going into the prisons and doing the training themselves of values. But when a person has good values on the inside, when you think of social media, if, if you have got good values on the inside, you don't need validation on the outside. That's got a whole nother story on social media and the whole thing. Do you like me? Do you not like me? And here's a stranger doesn't like me and I'm depressed because I don't even know who they are, but they didn't give me a thumbs up in this whole deal. And, and so what's beautiful is we do have an answer. I, I wouldn't be arrogant enough to say it's the only answer, but we, we have an answer. We, have, we really have found that in small groups teaching values, life change happens and people's life gets better. I think we can't close any better than that, John. The book is Change Your World. It's available on Amazon right now. John, we didn't fully get into what you're doing in other countries. Where can people learn more about it? It's very simple. Changeyourworld.com. There you go. And and they go to go to the, and by the way, when they go to Change Your World, the the all the all the values lessons and stuff that's all online. It's free for them. I mean, so they can begin to, to have a small group if they want to. And it's it's all we have a values assessment that they can take to see what their values are in life. And so it's all free. But go to changeyourworld.com or you can you know, get the book. Every time I'm with you, I'm inspired. And I'm so grateful for today's conversation. Thank you so much, John. I feel the same with you. Thank you, my friend. One of the things that John said was that things begin to change when you sit down and have a conversation around a table, when you start talking about the things that matter. If you don't have a group of people that you sit down with who run companies who are leaders, who feel the pressure that you feel, then you're not having that conversation. We offer that conversation at Business Made Simple. If you're not a member at businessmadesimple.com, it's $275 a year, not a month, a year. And we got to be close to 20,000 business leaders now and growing every single day. And uh, we sit around and we have these conversations. In fact, we have one coming up Every month, we sit around and have these conversations. It's Business Made Simple's member-exclusive Q&A. And the next one is on leadership, how to grow your leadership skills. It's with me and the president of my company, Doug Kahn. I've known Doug for a long time. He has been a mentor to me. And over the course of about a year and a half, very similarly to how I got Betsy to marry me, I courted Doug. (laughs) He's with us now, Doug. Hey, Don. Doug, you know the story. We tried for years to figure out management and execution as the business grew and just couldn't do it. And within, gosh, six months, you had us running like a machine. And I, I was incredibly impressed with what you brought to the table. And we're going to talk about that in some of our leadership Q&A. Doug, the real thing that I want to talk about is the emotional exhaustion that happens when you are the leader. And you, and that's something you you know all about because you've been there and you've counseled a lot of people who who are just exhausted. Well, and two, I, you know, I think early in my career, I made a lot of mistakes around this because, you know, my impression of what a great leader was, was somebody who could just stand strong, look death in the face and not flinch and fly <laughs> solo. And that's, that's a recipe for disaster. I think we know that. And, you know, these are some of the things we're going to talk about, you know, in this leadership Q&A is how dangerous it is to, to not have somebody that you can connect with. And Don, you and I talk several times each day 
about the challenges that we're facing in the company. There's constant communication, partly so that we can all be on the same page. But wouldn't you also say partly because if you go alone, you're emotionally going to fall apart? Yeah, you really, you really are. And, and you starve yourself from a lot of good input and feedback. And you know, one of the things that we say in our company all the time, Don, you know this, is that feedback is a gift. Mm-hmm. And not just because it gets you to self-reflect, you open yourself up to a population of ideas that you know, may not have naturally surfaced in your own mind. So I end up looking a lot smarter than I am when I, I kind of open that door and have really important conversations with other leaders in our company. The other thing I do is, you know, I have a mentor outside the company. You know, I talk about Steve Klinger and, you know, to have somebody that you can solicit their advice and find perspective outside the company is really important. And you do that all the time. I know you talk to many, many great leaders about what's happening in our company and bring that back to all of us. But, you know, it's been a big paradigm shift for me in our interaction over the last year and a half or so that I was the guy who just felt like I needed to go find all the answers up on the mountaintop and then bring them down to the village. And you're the, you're the guy who really said, no, you bring the village to the top of the mountain. And it was very counterintuitive for me. Mainly because I'm 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 introvert and I'm sort of a creative, uh, visionary kind of person. I you know come up with better ideas in the shower than I do at my desk, but that's the sort of thing that the, the paradigm shifts that really change. We're not going to just talk about emotions though, because I, I I do think that's important. But we're also going to talk about practical frameworks you can use to lead your company, practical things you can do. Doug, can you give just a little bit of a of a snapshot of what we're going to talk about in this Q and A? You know, we believe every business runs like an airplane and the cockpit of the airplane is all about leadership. So there's a couple things that that we're going to zero in on. One is just a leadership cheat sheet, three little tips that we're going to give you that will really help you define yourself as a leader. And then also we have five guiding principles that all great leaders adopt. And this is in the DNA of any great leader that, that you would read about, listen to, or work for. And so, you know, we'll, we'll rip through those things. And I think there'll be a very, very practical side along with talking about how lonely and dreadful leadership can be at times. And I think just pump some jet fuel into, into you. All leadership really is, or at least 95% of it is just solving problems. That's all it is. And I came to a, a realization maybe a couple of years ago that the more problems that come my way, the more my responsibility as a leader rises, the more problems I'm going to deal with. Because there was a while, Doug, where I thought things must be falling apart under my leadership because every day it's just problem after problem after problem until you realize, no, problem after problem after problem comes to you because somebody out there respects you and thinks you might have a solution. And the only reason I say that is because a lot of the loneliness that you talk about happens when people listening to our voices right now are having to solve problems on their own and without frameworks with which to solve them and believe that because there are so many problems, they're bad leaders. And I would actually say, because you're solving so many problems, you're actually respected. The trick is to find the eye of the hurricane where you can have inner peace, where you can be calm and solve problems without burning out. And that's the goal of this conversation. Yeah, I, I think that is, that is dead on, Don. And I think there's a lot of leaders out there that are, are feeling an incredible amount of loneliness and also feeling a bit defeated. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, if you invest a little time with us on this subject, 
I think you're going to walk away, you know, with a little bit more balance, a little bit more perspective. And, and I think you'll enter back into your leadership challenges with a lot more energy and, and, and actually a lot more confidence, which I think would be terrific. So here's how it works. If you want to attend this Q&A, all you have to do is be a member at businessmadesimple.com. When you sign up to be a member, and again, it's $275 a year, not a month, a year for 365 days. And what you get with that is our on-demand courses that teach everything from how to manage small business finance, how to run your business, uh, how to create a mission statement, guiding principles, how to clarify your message, how to build a sales funnel, how to build a proposal, how to create a life plan, on and on and on, all sorts of practical business courses that are, are going to change the way you do business. There's also every other month, a Q&A, like the one that Doug and I are going to do. That's every other month. And then every other month in the off month, we have a live stream. We teach something about business. Last month, we taught about sales and it was fantastic. You get that. And if you miss it, you get exclusive access to the replay of that. So it's ongoing live education with questions, live questions from you, the audience. It's a fantastic value. Just go to businessmadesimple.com. You don't have to sit around the table alone and you don't have to be lonely. You can do this in community. You can lead in community. Go to businessmadesimple.com and Doug and I will see you soon. You know, I grew up really poor and uh, we didn't have any money. Mom was abandoned by my dad. We were all abandoned by my dad. She was emotionally in a tough spot and, you know, was just trying to hold it together. And so that's the environment I grew up in. You know, we're all in such different places, right? And we can always look at somebody who has more than we do. And we can always look at somebody who has less than we do. Maybe the, the message here is the closing thought, if you will, is be willing to face the challenges, whatever they are. Know at the end of the day, the harder you work, the better your story is. And, uh, and then, also look around for people who don't have the same privilege as we do and help them out. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Business Made Simple. Make sure you come back and listen next week. If you're not a subscriber, go ahead and subscribe. We'll see you back here in one week. Here's to growing your business. It can seem like the whole job of an entrepreneur is to worry, which is why the Business Made Simple podcast is here for you every week, taking the mystery out of growing your business. So if you got something out of today's episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Then go to businessmadesimple.com to see how our on-demand courses and live coaching events can give you the practical skills you need so you won't just sound like you understand business. You will actually know how a business works and how to grow it. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.